Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, Welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness. Hi, I'm Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from compulsive eating, compulsive overeating. I'd like to welcome Jay to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hello. Um, As a member of Overeaters Anonymous, she will share her experience with food obsession and how OA has helped. Uh, Well, Jay, what we usually do uh, when we have a new program on is talk a bit about what the program is and how it, how it works. Sure. So would you like to just give us a brief overview of OA and how, yeah. it, how it works? Absolutely. So Overeaters Anonymous is a 12-step program based on um, the, the work of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we use the word food and food obsession instead of alcohol. Um, we have been – we're a smaller – um, we're certainly a smaller 12-step program, but we've been around since the 60s and we're all over the world. Um, the the chapter, I guess, that I belong to is in Melbourne. So we have um, meetings um, in central Melbourne and some meetings out in the regional areas as well. Uh, but the the basic um, the basic gist of, of Over as Anonymous is... Um, to offer recovery from the disease of compulsive overeating and compulsive over and compulsive behaviours, while um, maintaining or working towards a healthy body weight. Right. Okay. Well, that sounds achievable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so usually we start in sort of talking about the recovery story, and mm-hmm. we look at um, what it was like growing up, like what what it was like in your household. Um, and when you first realised that something was different about the way you compulsively ate and other people? Sure. Uh, My first memories are certainly um, of being obsessed with food and having a focus on food, um, my access to food. So as I was growing up, um, the the ability to get food was limited. So um, I came from a house where there was certainly an abundant amount of food but certainly not the foods that I liked to eat for example you yeah. know, high sugar high high fat high you know junk food um, and also in order to eat anything I had to ask my mother and she would always tell me to go and eat a piece of fruit or she would say wait until dinner or you know so my ability to indulge in this compulsion that I had so I'm, as a young child to to overeat wasn't really available. So then as soon as I had the opportunity to do so, um, so if I was at a friend's house, if people were away, you know, if my if, if people outside of my house was, I, I binged. So I would eat enough for, you know, three breakfasts and, and people would comment on that, you know, or um, we'd be at a party and everyone else is out there doing pin the tail on the donkey and I'm just like heading back, you know, You're heading back food. to the food, yeah. the party food yeah. or, you know, it's Christmas time and um, – you know, everyone, all the other kids are waiting for Santa and I'm just trying to work out if the, you know, tub of ice cream has been left unattended. Um, so <laughs> that was my, uh, that was my, um, my main driving force, particularly okay. because it was limited, particularly because my access to it was, was limited by my 
circumstances. Right. Okay. So I guess you mentioned Christmas, and I guess people often wonder: Is Christmas is periods of feasting? Are they difficult for people with compulsive eating disorders? Oh, un, undoubtedly. Like it is. It is certainly a, a time of year where um, we focus uh, in the in the program. We actually focus more on um, how we can get through because the only way that I can retain my recovery every day is to not make like I enjoy my food. I have freedom from compulsive overeating, but yeah. I cannot attribute a special meaning to food beyond its ability to nourish. So I have a, a plan of action that I work to get through Christmas like any other day, yep. you know, and it doesn't – and so I participate in things, you know, there are lots of things I say no to, but it doesn't mean I don't go to a party or I don't, you know, I don't attend a meal or I don't – it just means that I need to have a think about it and plan and have, have my backup there, have my tools there, have my program helping me. And so I, I get through Christmas abstinently, but it's the – and so, so refraining from compulsive eating, you know, yep. just eating as I normally do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, did you did you always feel that food was special for you? Yes, um, I was always looking to food for comfort. So I have, you know, I have an addictive personality, and and it seems that my addictions tend to go for things that are quite easily accessible, hmm. and so that was you know, that was food, you yep. know, so from my youngest. Uh, but I noticed that that I was not eating like other people did, you know, and... So how early was that when you noticed oh, those things? Well, I can I can certainly remember, say, maybe when I was about 11 and, and people saying, wow, you just ate three, you know, staying at a friend's house, you ate three breakfasts. And then, yeah. and then um, my friend gleefully told me the next day that her mother said that I wasn't allowed to come back to their place anymore because I ate too much food. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't yeah. overweight at that stage, but yeah. that was, yeah. So there was, a, there was some feedback for me yeah. on that. Okay. So what did your family think? Um, my family were very, very concerned about me and – um, my weight and my health. Um, overweightness certainly runs in my family. And um, my mother tried her best. That's why she kept things under lock and key. Like mm. if she bought, so it was very difficult for her because she would, you know, have a family budget to run. I had a brother and a sister as well, so I'm the eldest. And she would go out and buy the food for the week. And then that would be on the Friday. And on the Monday, all the pay lunches are gone. <laughs> You know, right. all the snack food was gone. That tin of Milo, that's gone, you know. And, and of course, all of that is sneaky eating because I certainly yeah. couldn't eat those things in front of, you know, in front of them. Um, and so, yeah, that was – so I would eat for myself, but I'd also eat for, you know, eat my family's portions as well. And so um, they tried to do, you know, like they'd say, we're concerned about your weight, particularly as I got older – in my teen years, you know, we're worried. You know, sometimes it was nice conversations. Sometimes it wasn't very nice mm. conversations. Um, but but they just didn't know what to do. They just didn't know how how to handle my eating problem other than getting overweight, don't eat so much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, you must have been having – once you started putting on weight – you know, hmm. you're sort of, I guess you're moving out of primary school into secondary school. So were things, what were things like at school? Uh, school 
was very, very difficult. Um, I, I didn't feel safe anywhere. So I wasn't safe at home. Home was very volatile. You know, I was highly, highly strung teenager. Um, particularly cause I'd gone from being a relatively docile, um, you know, good girl to being really very difficult to manage. Um, and so so at home was was not a safe place and then at school you know I was always the low man on the totem pole picked on um always felt like made to feel different teased you know the butt of jokes of group of group jokes and and you know always waiting for someone to come and do something horrible to me Mm. which quite often happened happened you know um and and that actually continued on into my adult life as well. But yeah, school was very, very, um, very difficult. So it was I wasn't safe at school, you know, and I wasn't safe at home. So I ate, right? You know, that was that was my where I tried to get comfort and solace because that's all that I knew how to do. I had no other skills or support or help to help me through those difficult times, as well as the extreme anxiety that I was feeling as well. Mm. And that's kind of been my um, uh, my natural state is to be highly anxious, you know, and and then I eat to try to alleviate that anxiety. Right. Okay. So you must have started gaining weight pretty quickly if you were. In I those did. Cycles. I did. So mm. when I was thirteen, um, I remember clearly being weighed as part of like a phys ed thing, and I'd put on five kilos. And so I was a normal body weight then. And I remember having this very, you know, like eat less and exercise more, t- smart conversation with my, um, with my PE teacher. You know, but it was really quite a shock. You know, because I'd just always been thin. Yeah. You know, um, and then as time went on. The, the weight gain became more and more. When I was 15, I was maybe a size, um, I was probably about 80 kilos, um, which when I look back at the school photos, like I was made to feel like I was the fattest person on earth and I really wasn't. But I was, I felt, I, I felt um, like the most unattractive, you know, horrible thing on earth. You know, um, and and that I was unlikable, undesirable. You know, especially when you're seeing your friends pairing up with you know with boyfriends, and I never, I never really had that because, well, I wasn't, I was fat, and I also probably wasn't that much fun to be around either. Yeah. <laughs> there was that, you know. But yeah, also I just blamed it on my weight, though. Yeah, yeah, and probably the fact that you enjoyed. Eat isolating and eating alone well, meant yeah. that you didn't really, yeah, you don't like sharing stuff with other people. It's no, no, way. that's it. That's it. Um, yeah. Like I wasn't a particularly easy friend to have, I don't think, but yeah. I did, I got mixed up. Um, I got mixed up with, uh, it's, it's funny because the, the, I actually think the, the being overweight was also, it was a protection for me as well. So yeah. the boys didn't like me which actually turned out pretty good because then well, I went and finished year 12 and went to university and, and got a career, whereas my friends didn't get – none of them got that. They were all bright girls but didn't finish year 12, got pregnant to, you know, not-so-nice fellows, you know, at a, at a young age and and their life, you know, 
their life potential was put on a different track than the one I had. Yeah. Um, so um, going to uni then, mm-hmm. what was that like going from a you know being you know, quite a controlled environment, I guess, to a fairly open, free environment? Did things get better or worse? Um, they they definitely got worse because it was this one thing to be part of a school where you kind of know you end up knowing people or knowing where everything is at. Whereas um, at university, I found it particularly um, particularly difficult because, like, I wasn't attractive, and um, well, I didn't think that I was attractive, mm. you know. And you and you're seeing other people going out and partying and having friends and and like. I was just always on the outside. People weren't that interested in being friends with me. Um, so I was very, very lonely. Like I didn't have that high, that university experience of like going out with friends and drinking or whatever because I was just um, like I would just freeze up, you know, or I don't, or wasn't that interesting to talk to or self-centered or complainy or negative or whatever it was. But um University was very was very difficult, um, and also like if I think about with my studies as well, like I was forever um, like I would do nothing for like seven weeks, and then I would just cram at the end, and so my marks never really reflected what I could do either because I had this very dysfunctional, undisciplined life. Yeah, you know. Um, that said. You know, I've always been taken care of. Like I finished, like I finished my studies. I've always done okay, but there was always that feeling that I never that failure to launch. You know, I never quite reached my potential. Right. Okay. Um, so after uni, then, or yeah, I guess during uni and after uni, work. Did you have any work issues? Uh, yes. Um, I had a habit of. Uh, taking jobs that were below my skill set because I was so afraid of failure, um, and and I also had a I also had a couple of times where I was um, fired uh, because I ate all the profits. Um, <laughs> nothing, you know. So I was working up in the hills, and um, and there was a really quiet day, and so I was bored, and and you know we were allowed to have our meal, and yet I cooked myself up. I think everything on the menu that day, and, and I didn't get another shift. Funnily enough. You know, like that was, but I couldn't stop myself and I thought it was funny. And then, but you know, I never, I never got asked back mm. because I ate their profits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so you mentioned working in fast foods. So was that, yes. was that something you targeted? Um, I don't know necessarily that I, I targeted, I think at that age, it's, it's kind of like the easiest, um, the easiest, uh, it's kind of like the easiest job to get and certainly my confidence um, wouldn't allow me to think that, that I could get a job in like a nice shop. It would have to be like the food and, and it certainly gave me access to my binge food, you know, like so my, you know, fatty, carby, sugary goodness, you know, like I just had that access on tap and actually I would get, um, I would get in, in trouble um, in one place where, we were supposed to keep a book of what we yeah. of what we ate, and then that was supposed to come off at the end. and And then I started to get accused of taking of not putting things in the book, and, and yeah, because um, all I wanted to do was go back behind the counter and eat. Mm. I didn't want to actually do my job. I just like my binge food is that I just want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So I guess how – so you, you must have been – if you're doing all this eating, things must be – you must be growing quickly and yes. you must it must be becoming more of a problem yes. because each dress size, I guess, is a is – a, uh, well, a, a psychological milestone yes. as well as an issue for clothing and stuff like that. So <laughs> Yes. So what's it like to, oh. to step up through the dress sizes? And, it's terrifying. Uh, it's it's um, it's terrifying, and um, now that I have physical, like very significant physical recovery, I've been um, I've been healthy body weight for nearly three years, and um, I'm maintaining a physical recovery, um, a weight loss of eighty kilos. Um, just being different from everybody you know going out to a club or going out to a nightclub and and you just you know or trying to work out like an interview outfit you know or trying to work out what the hell to wear you know and so I would just it was I always felt really poorly dressed and I couldn't you know I have quite interesting clothes and I could not express it but then not only that the indignity um, of there was this one shop because I, I was a size 32 then, so you're a bill, and I'm young, you know, mm. like I'm a young girl in my early 20s, you know. Do I want to be dressed like, you know, my 60-year-old auntie? No, but that was my option. And so the indignity of having to go and buy clothes, like $120 for like something, I, you know, that was like being treated like dirt and feeling like dirt because you just had to accept whatever crumbs were thrown your way mm. because you can't find clothes to fit you that that was um that was awful or like I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't get asked to be a bridesmaid at a friend's wedding because I was 150 kilos and what on earth what yeah. on earth do you what kind of a bridesmaid's outfit can you find for yeah. someone who's of that weight you know I'm about to be my sister's bridesmaid it wasn't that difficult <laughs> you know <laughs> it was pretty good it wasn't that difficult at all you know yeah. um Yes, so that was the clothing. The if I go somewhere, can I find a seat? You know, will the elite collapse under me? Am I taking up somebody else's room if I get on a plane? The indignity of like I used to always seem to cop the the flight attendants that liked to wait until the plane is taxiing down the runway before they give you the seatbelt extender. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, just that level of um uh being being told being communicated that you were just you were just disgusting for yeah. want of a better word yeah and i felt disgusting mm. okay uh you're listening to living free show on 3cr 855 kilohertz on your am dial and 3cr on digital radio uh there are now 20 recent episodes of living free available for podcasts on the living free webpage which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and they're also available on iTunes. Um, there are also plenty of other great podcasts of other 3CR shows available at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. If you have a question or a comment about the show, then you can call the station on 94198377 or send us an email on 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. Um, I'm talking today with Jade from Overeaters Anonymous and we're talking about recovery from compulsive eating. So, Jay, we, we were talking about um, working in fast food shops and the sort of the, the problems that that caused with the access to food. So what are some of your unusual food experiences that you want to share with? 
Um, when I when I think about what are the what are the things that happened and the things that I do with food that really qualify me as a down and out down and nerdy compulsive overeater, there are a couple of things that I can um, I can remember. One of those was um, uh, eating food that most likely contained glass. So I um, had was preparing something, glass exploded in my hand, exploded over the food. I still wanted that food, so I ate it. Wow. You know, yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. You know, like this is something that could do extreme damage to me, but like I, I wanted that food and I certainly didn't want to walk to the shops to get more because I was so overweight, like I wasn't going anywhere. So I was prepared to take that risk. I thought I'd taken the bits out, yep. you know. Um, <laughs> so that do. was, yeah, that was, that's a, that's a, um, a highly esteemable moment and probably also remembering um remembering the the times where I'd had a binge so most of my food my food um behaviors were really really large portion sizes eating all the time eating lots of high fat high calorie food um so eating enough for you know like a family of five in a, in a sitting but not so much binges whereas I can I can remember times when I binged and I was so ill and I was just racked over and doubled in pain from eating so much and my my he was my boyfriend at the time was like rubbing my back and I'm crying and I'm desperate and then I'm just waiting for that little bit of room so I can shove food back in it again you know even even and that yeah how can I get more food even though right now I'm sitting here in utter agony yeah yeah (laughs) okay Uh, so how were you first introduced to Overeaters Anonymous so uh, working in one of those uh, fast food environments, um, as it would be, so I uh, was working over the university holidays and um, and so I was surrounded by my binge foods and so I was certainly indulging in my binge foods and so there was someone there that was working and she was watching me and so one day it was quiet and we're having this conversation and I think I'm already pretty ready because I remember feeling this feeling of self-hatred and loathing as I'm kind of eating the food that's been sitting in the Bay Marie for you know and and so then she started talking to me about her experiences so she was in another 12-step program and at the same time I had no idea that that I kind of thought everybody wanted to eat like I did they just just didn't and so she started talking about her experiences with and her recovery from her program and I was not getting any identification at all and I'm just sort of looking at going wow what an interesting story <laughs> and and then she looked at me and she said and I see you doing with food what I did with this addiction and that just floored me and then she said my cousin goes to over as anonymous there's a meeting next to my meeting um that she goes to, why don't you come? And so I agreed because I was pretty desperate at that stage. You know, I was 125 kilos, so not my biggest weight, mind you, but I was 125 kilos at that stage and and life was becoming very unmanageable. Right. So what's your first experiences, your first impressions? Like (sighs) what was it like coming into Overeaters Anonymous and seeing all these other people who are addressing – a problem that you maybe had? Well, that there were people that did with food what I did with food, you know, that I wasn't the only one. Like that's, you know, that, that, and that it, and that also that it wasn't normal as well. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. the, because I think there was this part of me that didn't think that what I did was so unusual that somehow I accidentally was fat, even yeah. though I ate like everybody else, I, which I didn't, but anyway, yeah. um, 
and and I got that identification. You know, people were talking about things that I did with food, and not even just the food. Their, their approach to life as well. You know, the, the, their their place in the world, their place in at work, their place with their families, their dysfunctional relate. You know, like the struggles that they had or were having. Yeah, that's that's what I heard when I came into the rooms. Okay, so did you understand the twelfth step? concept at that point no i i I, i've been around for in the program for a very long time and kind of missed the the 12 steps if that makes any sense like i'd rock along to meetings i worked the steps with a sponsor still didn't get that the steps were the the key i I think if i just thought i could talk therapy it i don't i don't know you know um uh, i certainly um didn't embrace the idea of higher power I thought that I would just fix it myself. Yeah. Um, Although I, you hadn't been able to do for the last no. Oh years no, yet. let's not <laughs> pretend that that, that that was sane. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's not pretend that was going to work. But somehow I figured I would just magically work out how to. Yeah, self will. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Incredibly yeah. willful. Yeah. Um, like all, like yeah, most of us are. Um, and just didn't you know that step three, right? You know, so and and even step one sometimes. Maybe step one a lot, yep. you know, that 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 I had an issue with food and my life was unmanageable yep. and mm-hmm. that, you know, that step three, turning my will over to a higher power, just didn't see it. You know, I could do four and five, that made sense. Six and seven, what? You know, I could mm-hmm. do eight and nine because I would just make amends. Yeah. But, <laughs> but 11, what the hell? And, and 12, I can do 12 because I can dis- dispense my wisdom to others, yeah. you know, quite mm-hmm. easily. Um, and, but it was a real shock. It was a real revelation when my first sponsor said to me, we we're having this conversation, and she said, the compulsion is removed. And I'm like, what? What do you mean removed? Don't you just white knuckle it? Don't you just get some willpower and then... You know, you still want to eat that chocolate cake, you but just you just have yeah. the willpower not to. And she's like, no, the, the urge to eat the chocolate cake is gone. And and that just blew my mind. Yeah. So um, if you couldn't do it, you know, if you couldn't do it alone, so how did it start to work? So what's what are the parts of the – what are the tools of the Overeaters Anonymous program that help mm. you get to that point? The, the first thing is really for me is – really putting down the food, you know, actually stopping the compulsive eating and the compulsive eating behaviours around food and treating putting food in its place, which is something to nourish me, something that's enjoyable, but, but to nourish me, not to fulfil the hole in my soul, yeah. you know, um, and to get some, some boundaries around what is and isn't um, okay, you know, what are my okay foods and what are the foods that I just cannot have because they are my trigger foods. So that we talk about like binge foods or trigger foods in a way. So for me, that's sugar and bread. And that doesn't mean that, you know, like I have sponsees that eat those things and that's absolutely cool. You know, there are things on their food plan that, that or things that they can't have with their own plan of eating that that I can have. You know, it's not one size fits all. You yeah. know, we we and and that my plan of eating has certainly evolved. What how it first started was three meals a day, 
and nothing in between. And that's what I was told to eat. Now, those meals were pretty big, you know, and there was lots of binge foods in there. Don't you worry about that, you know. And then it's like, right, that next step and that next step, you know, that's – so that's definitely one of the, you know, the plan of eating is um, – is, is one of the critical tools for me getting honest about my food and putting down the compulsive behaviours with food to, get, to gaining my recovery. But it then the next lot of hard work begins, which is working through steps four to, four to 12, you know, clearing the wreckage of the past. And, yep. and Acknowledging. And that. Yeah. Yeah, seeing absolutely. The, seeing the patterns, I think, is the, the big thing. That mm. Once you acknowledge that what you did – you can see what you do and, and the fact that it's just that repeated pattern. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you also talked about sponsor, sponsee. Do you want to just talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I have a sponsor and I have sponsees as yep. well. So um, we work – so how – like I've worked with sponsors in, in many different ways. So when I've had a sponsor or and I – I have to have a sponsor like this, like if I, I, and, and I always have a, a sponsor, even if it's just a temporary sponsor. Yeah, it's not mandatory, but it's a good idea. Oh, yeah. well, well, this yeah. is it. And yeah. for me to be accountable as well, cause I, I'm very dishonest in my disease. Um, so I, uh, text in my, what I'm going to eat that day, um, to my sponsor every day. And my sponsor knows what my food plan is. So we've sat down and this is something I do with my sponsees as well. Okay, what, you know, what are the boundaries around your food? You know, what, what are the okay foods? What are the not okay foods? You know, how do you know? Like, so we talk about abstinence, which is the um, refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive eating behaviours. So what, what, does that, what is that for you? Because the disease looks different in all of us you know, in, in Overeas Anonymous. So um, it's, so it's, that's a part of it. Um, but that's like the first part. That's like the tick, right? Yeah. That, yep. that I've thought about my food for the day. I've made the plans that I need to plan. You know, are there any trouble spots that I need to look at? Right, tick. And then I can not worry about my food for the rest of the day, yep. you know, because that's taken care of. But then it's like, all right, your step work, you know. So looking at my daily review, so the day before, and then looking at, well, what does your day entail today so then it's it's working and that's really what she's interested in you know and generally because my food is good we don't talk about food much at all no it's a text it doesn't matter you know it's actually talking about my life then with my sponsees it depends on where they're at you know i'm working through the steps with a couple of my sponsees at the moment um they text their food into me and i take daily phone calls from them at the moment um with my sponsor i call her two or three times a week. Right. Okay. Um, so I guess the, the issue is that people um, who don't understand compulsions don't understand this concept of a compulsion being lifted. Mm. And so this is the, I guess, the, the spiritual concept that something outside of me or something outside of you, outside of us, takes away the problem that we had without us even, uh, not so much being aware, but we're aware of it, but... It goes away, and at that point, we no longer have those thoughts that we used to have. Yeah. So what's it like to have that lifted? What's it like to not think of food in the way that you used to? Oh, it's, um, it's amazing, like, and it's a freedom that I, I never thought that I would have. Um, 
because food dominated my thoughts for so long. And so, you know, now it's like I get up and I make my breakfast and that's what I have and then I'm on to the next thing and I, I'm purposeful. You know, there's a whole lot of spare time in my day now. <laughs> you know, I can I can go off and, and be, you know, be the be whatever role it is, you know, wife, mother, worker, friend, daughter, whichever, you know, that I'm there for others. And that also that food is not impacting because because the the dishonesty and the deceitfulness and the work and effort that you have to put in to get the food, yep. you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, like especially when I was like so fat, I couldn't get off the couch. And then I'd sort of try to convince my husband to go out and, you know, get another tub of ice cream for me and he wouldn't. And I hated him very much for that, you know. Um, now my day is, you know, yeah, I get up, call in my food and, and, Get on, and get on with it. Yeah. That's it. And and so that's not to say that it never comes back. You know, that's not to say that. And I tend to have like trigger points like, you know, that stretch between lunch and afternoon tea, my God, that takes for It's like three years sometimes, you know. But I've got my program. It's like, all right, high power, just help me through this. Help me. And this is the blip. Because yep. you almost forget. Mm. And I think that's one of the troubling – no, one of the, the challenging things is that you actually forget that that's how you were all the time. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and now yep. it's been lifted so I actually forget, forget that that's what I used to be like. And then sometimes I get reminded and I'm like, right. Yep. You know, but I don't have to act on it, that I understand that this too shall pass. Yep. You know, that this is the blip and the most important thing is to remain abstinent and clean and to not pick up the food and it will pass and I will be okay. Which has happened to me many, many, many times. Yep, that's good. <laughs> You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Jade about Overeaters Anonymous and overcoming the compulsion with compulsive eating. Um, so you've been in Overeaters Anonymous for a while, but things aren't cruising. So what? So I, I think. You mentioned earlier that you're sort of in your 30s and things were not going exactly the way you'd planned. No. Uh, so I had been – I'd been in program for about 10 years, um, but that life unmanageable thing was still very much present in my life. So there'd been a few failure to, to launches. Um, I was certainly um, – I hated the world. Uh, I was oh, – I was – didn't had difficulty with my family relationships, with my husband relationships. I um, was trying to get pregnant, which was really very. Um, thank God, I sorry. Thank you that I did not get pregnant because I was 150 kilos and I was utterly, utterly off my head. Um, you know, no, no fit state to be a mother. Um, and so I was very fortunate about that. But, you know, I started to realise life was not going the way I wanted. So, you know, my career progression, the having a family and also the health. You know, I didn't think that I needed to worry about um, my health until I was in my 40s, you know. And guess what? It started catching up with me in my early 30s. You know, I'm getting diagnosed with strange, you know, strange um, conditions linked to my overweightness. And I'm getting told that I'm a risk for a heart attack and I'm getting told I need to be put on a heart monitor, you know, and I just ignored that because I just didn't want to because um, <laughs> that was the way to handle it. Yeah. And, and then I just started, you know, and then I'm in program but I'm still – Binging, and I'm going out to meet with my OA with my fellows 
and I've eaten a loaf of bread before I see them. Wow. And I'm like, what on what are you doing? You know, like I remember I remember that night and being so desperate like and I'd also um had a so I'd by this stage I'd actually lost some weight got pregnant um my daughter was two and I'd had a miscarriage as well um in between her and my son um and the terror of stacking on weight that I because I was already very overweight when I got pregnant the terror of stacking on weight um uh was and but not being able to stop myself you know and knowing that I could kill this baby and I still couldn't stop eating. That wow. was yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so yeah, that that was um, that's when I really saw how how unmanageable my life was. So what happened? Well, so yeah. after so I've had the you know I've had the you know I've I've had the the miscarriage. I know I've, um, I've you know been binging before going out to hang out with my OA friends, and I went to a meeting. And there was this person sitting next to me and she talked about having nine years um, abstinence and weight loss and freedom. And I turned to her and I said, will you be my sponsor? And she said, yes. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. (laughs) And if I knew, I probably wouldn't have signed up for it. But she helped me get honest. You know, she helped me work my program and she worked me really hard. But that's exactly what I needed because of my level of dishonesty was so... And my self-will was so deeply entrenched in me that only only someone with a, you know, with a high degree of determination and not taking any of my crap um, and, and willing to call me on my stuff was the only way it was going to get through to yeah. me. Yeah. So when you say your stuff, you mean? Ah, oh, my stuff. So <laughs> my dishonesty with food, yeah. um, my poor behaviour. With others, so I demonstrated very poor behaviour to my husband, very poor behaviour to the people that I worked with. Um, with my husband, uh, I blamed him for everything. Highly controlling. Uh, I would tell him when he went to his, see his psychologist, I would say, now this is what I want you to work on today. And he never did, which was like <laughs> ridiculous if you asked me. But, you know, that this level, you know, that this level of control and I was also highly volatile with him. I would attack him. I would – I was um, – on a couple of occasions, um, physically abusive towards him as well. Um, yeah. Right. So, yeah. So things were, yeah, definitely out of control. Yes. 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 Okay. Mm, <laughs> yes. So how did it work out? What, what, was the, what was the start of the, of the improvement? It was putting down the food and being completely 100% honest about what I was eating and being very aware of what I was eating and the understanding that if I stepped outside of my eating plan that I was breaking my abstinence. Right. Because, you okay. know, like having that level of definition is extremely important for me. Like other people in program work it differently and that's completely okay. Yep. How it works for me, how I fit, what's most comfortable for me is having extremely defined boundaries around my food because the dishonesty just creeps in creeps in that's yeah, right yeah. even when even when i think i'm being abstinent i cannot be abstinent if i'm not you know calling him if i'm not being real and honest and focused that's, about my food yeah yep. okay so um so you started working the steps so you mm. started getting a bit of self-knowledge and I think to me that's the important thing where you mm. understand why you do the things you do yes deeply rooted habits yes and once that starts, that starts a, I guess, a steamroller effect where you you start, you're able, you get some momentum. Mm. And so how how do you keep on going? 
Well, you start to see things improving. So it was the knowledge. So there was the self, there was the self knowledge, but also the understanding that it was that it was wrong. The that that behaviour that I was demonstrating to myself and that behaviour that I was demonstrating to others was wrong and that uh, and destructive, and that it didn't have to be that way. I have a filthy temper, like like highly highly like I don't now, mm. but when I'm when I'm in my disease, I have a horrible temper, you know. But I used to think, well, that was just how it had to be, and no, it does not. Yeah. You know, apparently, apparently, that's not okay, that's and, not normal, and you yeah. don't have to be like that. Yeah. Um, so, so then they started to. So then I noticed like relationships improving, um, particularly with my husband. Like I've told him that he should have left me, um, you know, because I was so horrible to him. Like I used to think that I was the hard done by one. Yeah. I took his inventory all the time. Yeah. But then actually if we go back and have a look, he was the long-suffering husband. Um, and But that's not, that's not where we are today. Mm. Yeah, it's about respect, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the, 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 it's not like, you know, like the, I would think it was okay to yell and to call names and to, you know – kind of decimate him to win. Like it was kind of like this, like take no prisoners kind of thing that I had. Mm. And he would say to me, but we're a team, we're on the same side. If you destroy me, then you destroy us. And I just did not understand that. No, because I need to win. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how have your other relationships like with your mum and dad gone? Oh, uh, they have really, really improved and we're now at a stage where they are um, amazing grandparents um, to my two children. We have a good relationship uh, and I don't think that that would be possible without program. I think without program I probably wouldn't have anything to do with my family at all. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't have my husband. Yeah. Um, well, no, he didn't leave and he should have. <laughs> but, like, my children certainly would end up being more damaged individuals than they will be now. Um yeah, so I started – so in terms of – so my relationship with my husband improved immeasurably and I think that's probably um, – other than my very significant physical recovery and spiritual recovery, I actually think that emotional recovery and, you know, I have this wonderful family um, and I am a source of strength for them as they are for me. Yep. Um, and my work, my work relationships, like I have, I have like – I worked 10 years in an industry that um, that I was always on the outer and because, you know, it's like, yeah, she's smart, but she's a pain. You know, yeah, she's good at what she does, but she's very difficult to work with. And so I started this new job at the beginning of the year, a very challenging job. And, and I was working on the first project with them and the feedback I got, which I totally wasn't expecting it, I was said, I was told, you know what, this time we've worked on this project because it's really like the stuff that I work in is very high stakes, high pressure. And he said to me, this is the only time where we've gotten along and I think that the difference is you, like meaning me. And I'm like, what? what the hell? Like when since have I ever helped a team come together and yeah. anyone support each other? Like that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm usually the one that has to be mitigated, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. It's a question away. And, and you know, so... I've started this new work and I'm just like one of the people, just, you know. Just normal. Yeah. I'm just a person, right? Yeah. I have some skills, yeah. you know, I have some challenges. It's um, it's a miracle. It, it is a miracle. And there there are things in my life like say I got a new – I need a new food plan before Christmas, you know, because um, I had gained um, a little bit of weight, which I hadn't 
you know, I hadn't noticed because that's disease. So it's like, all right, we need to go back and I need professional help. And I'm like, this is insane. What? How can I have a new food program before Christmas? Like, and my disease is telling me, yeah, no, you need to wait yeah. till after Christmas yeah. to that. No one can do that. And then I'm like, remember how every day is just a regular day with food? Okay, you know, all right, God. Uh, sorry, high power, help me through this stage. And so I did. I had a new food plan before Christmas with reduced quantities. I was fine. Yep. You know, it was professionally it was professionally done, you know, so I'm not binging, I'm not starving. It's a miracle. Yeah. So do food professionals, do those sort of people understand uh, overeaters and their problems? Uh, the, I, hmm, it's very challenging. Um, it's very challenging when the, uh, the, kind of status quo is everything in moderation because yeah. I just can't. No. I, d- I wish I could, but yes. I just can't, yeah. you know. Um, I'm not built that way, but I'm pretty good because I really, like I understand, like I sort of did some negotiating with the dietitian, yeah. and she's like, well, you can have this, but then you need to reduce that. I'm yeah. like, okay. I said, these things are really important, you know, and then she's not trying to say, but you should be able to have have a piece of cake. It's like, I can't yeah. because I it will trigger something in me, you know, it just doesn't agree with me. And so um, so there is an approach. And I had a really good dietitian that um, I referred lots of people to because I kind of had trained her, yep. you know. So she would say to me, you know, have some bread. I'm like, okay. And she knew that I would just ignore that because, you know, right. and, and what what else can I have other than that? Yeah. And so you can you can actually work with health professionals. And you know what? If I ended up with a dietitian that was too rigid, I'd be like, all right, I'll find another one. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, so what would you tell people that have a problem with overeating now who may be listening but yeah, you know, about your experience and what it offers? So I was born down and out, down and dirty, compulsive overeater, you know, and I was 150 kilos and I was racked with anxiety and self-hatred and self-loathing and and I'm not that way today, you know, through the program. I'm actually who I'm meant to be, you know, an imperfect individual, you know, no doubt. But the miracle of being a healthy body weight and having good relationships and succeeding in things, failing in things, life still goes on, you know, um, and that the compulsion can be removed if I can really get that across, you know, that it's not I'm white knuckling it every day, trying to just stay away from the fridge. Like my kids eat stuff. You know, I serve them up stuff that I can't have. Yeah. But it's like I might as well be giving them Play-Doh or Lego or something like that. That it just it's their food. It's not my food. You know, I don't have to ban foods from being in the house. Yeah. You know, that 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 I have freedom. You know, I can live my life. I can go out to restaurants. I can, you know, share meals with people. I just have to make sure that there is some planning done ahead, that I have some conversations and and then make the right choices for me. You know, but like if you told me that I would be a normal body weight, I would tell you that you were crazy, that that makes no sense. How can someone who's 150 kilos ever be a normal body weight without having done something extreme on the outside? It doesn't make, it, it just makes no sense but this is my life and this is what i live today right and other people can too because like 
If you I, can do it. Yeah. Well, well, this is it. Like, yeah. I'm not that special. I'm not special. I'm just a regular person, you know, that was able to finally apply the 12 steps to yeah. my life. Yeah. Well, looking at you, you wouldn't think that you're over 150 kilos. Yeah. Yeah, which is a very, very good positive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we better uh, think about wrapping up. So if um, about Overeaters Anonymous, if you're listening and your life is difficult because of compulsive eating... Um, then, and you think OA could help, uh, then you can go online at oa.org.au. Um, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jade for coming into the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Um, particularly for sharing her Overeaters Anonymous experience with us. I hope you'll be able to join us again on the 28th of January when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, you can stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, sport, music, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for lif- listening to Living Free program today. 